Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be back here after a two-week hiatus. Kept you waiting, huh? And we have exciting news. Mega Strange, I almost said the wrong yeah, one, yeah, I heard has it. been nominated for Paranormal oh, yeah. Podcast of the Year. Thank you to the Parapod Festival who has nominated us. Not only yeah. Johnny have we been nominated for Paranormal Podcast of the Year, we've been nominated for Best UFO Podcast of the Year, hey. Best Ghost Podcast oh. of the Year, and Best Podcast Hosts of the Year. That's them calling. We won the awards. Oh, never mind. The curse continues. <laughs> I cannot stream a show without my phone going off. That thing's been silent all day. That's and so we've funny. been recording for not even one minute. Dude. And I got a fucking call. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Hey, we're going to put a link down in the info. Do us a favor. Go and vote yes. for this show to be the winner of the Parapod Festival we really appreciate it. We want to take home the gold. Yeah. Get your mom to vote. Get your dad to vote. Get your uh, cat to vote. You know, do your due diligence here. Uh, you got to win this shit. Yeah. All the cat, every cat on the internet needs to yeah. vote for us uh, because we are the best and we really want it and we want to win. We need paw to paper here. We need to, <laughs> we need to make this work. Today's episode is about the, hor- the actual best-selling video game franchise of yeah. all time uh-huh. resident evil resident evil resident evil uh the resident evil films there's six of them uh-huh. and they have generated over 1.3 billion dollars at the box office that's surprising despite the fact that they are utter dog shit oh yeah they are some of the worst movies ever made my yeah my, per- oh. particularly uh I'm going to say, like, when it comes to zombie movies, I think they're especially bad. I'll be real with you. I love the first one. I saw the first one when I was 15. I'll be real with you. Yeah. I downloaded it illegally on Kazaa (laughs) back in the year, like, 2000. I don't know. I think the statute of limitations has passed on this. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I could say I guiltily. And I think I got it early. I think this was one of the first movies I actually pirated. I wish I knew about that. Before its release date. Yeah. uh, When I was 15. And so it always held a special place in my heart, Mm. despite how bad it was. Yeah. I feel like I, you know, I was like part hacker. Like I kind of had to, I had to work to get it, which made it extra sweet. I had to work to see it as well. Really? It was rated R and I was not of age and I had to like beg my dad to see it. Oh, and he took you. Oh, yeah. Well, he had already saw it. What? I know. And I was like, what was it? And he was like, I'm not taking it. It's radar. And then, you know, it was a big fight. <laughs> um, earlier today, I was doing another podcast called Movie Club. Check oh, it out. Check uh, it out. Patreon.com slash Mega64 if you want to sign up for Movie Club. And I was there with uh, my co-host, uh, Sean and Rocco. And Sean was talking about how he was not allowed to see anything rated PG-13 when he was a kid. He even was banned from seeing PG movies sometimes. Really? What is it with parents... Afraid to show their kids movies. I get it's a movie. I get rated R, but why? Go ahead. Explain to me why a kid should not see a rated R movie. Uh, like even this is how I always feel about uh movies in general with kids. Like people get really weird about like sexual stuff. I, that's normal human behavior. Not in Europe, they don't. Yeah, exactly. The violence. Hold on. You said it's normal human behavior. Yeah, it's not. Oh, in Europe, they have. 
naked news. Yeah. They have mixed bathrooms. Like they're so, they have nude beaches. It's like, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like the, it's fine. Like I, I, I don't understand when people get really iffy about. Oh, nudity. okay. Oh, it's human nature. That's yeah. What you, okay. That's what right. I meant. Sorry. Sorry. All right. I meant, I mean, I the, thought you meant like being weird about sexuality no, 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 is no, human no, no. nature. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, sexuality is human nature and it, and it weirds me out that people are weird about it. Uh, for me, it's the violence that I understand. Like, yeah, maybe that's not okay to like, you know, show fucking a kid, a head getting decapitated or some shit that might fuck them up later on the, down the line. But, uh, I think we do show that stuff regardless, um, you know, on TV. Yeah. On but, the news. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with you. Like the violence can be pretty shocking if yeah. you don't want to see the violence. Uh, but I also feel like that's not most people's concern yeah. when it comes to an R-rated movie. Uh, they're kind of desensitized to violence because it is on television so mm-hmm. much. And even like cartoon violence. Yeah. You know, like you're as an American, a child growing up in America, you're exposed to media violence, fake violence. Almost like within the first five years of your life, they don't wait very long before you start getting into cartoons. People are like yeah. hitting each other in the head with like, frying pans and dropping people off of buildings and stuff, running over with cars. I, I don't want to speak out of turn here, uh, a term here because uh, I know like there's no core. People always like, oh, violent video games will make violent people. And there's been no, zero correlation between the two. So I, I wonder if there is a similar thing with movie violence, but uh, I don't know. I feel like if you show a kid like Hannibal, uh, cannibal Holocaust, it's going to fuck them up, you know? Yeah, you know... We're not going to get into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like that we could do some research and do a whole episode. Oh, hell yeah. But let's get back to the laser scene in Resident Evil. The best part of that movie. Uh, I think I told this on the show before that that scene scared me so much I couldn't take a shower. Because you thought lasers were going to come out in the shower and get you? Yeah, I was fucking terrified. Yeah, that's the only memorable scene from that movie, in my opinion, and the rest is totally forgettable. Uh, there's that scene. And then when like towards the end, when like they're carting her boyfriend dude away and like the little tentacles start coming out of his wound, I always thought that was cool. Yeah. Well, um, um, some people may know this or may not know this, but resident evil Mm -hmm. came this close to being an unofficial sequel to the, to the dead trilogy by George Romero. Yeah. Yeah. George Romero was actually um, tapped and commissioned to write and direct the first Resident Evil movie. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen, sadly. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't a shit ton of work done on this movie. And that is what today's episode is about. The lost George Romero version of Resident Evil. What I'd like to do today is give our viewers kind of a history of the Resident Evil film, how it came to be, but then I'd like to go and review the story that George okay. Romero I'm down with that. wrote for the movie um, because the script has, is widely available. There's multiple versions of the script online, and uh, I have a very in-depth and detailed plot synopsis. Okay. And I would like to go through it. And as filmmakers, we can critique it. I love that so much. You know, how good would this be? What would you change? Does this suck? So we're going to get into it. A historical side and an artistic side. A review of the lost film, George Romero's Resident Evil. Welcome to today's episode. Hell yeah. I could give you a little Resident Evil tidbit. 
Yeah, let's start with a little Resident Evil tidbit. I think, uh, if I recall correctly, Resident Evil is uh, based off of a Japanese exclusive NES game. Um, and then Capcom kind of wholesale stole it. And what was Resident the NES game? Uh, I, I'll have to Google it right now if, if, you, if, you're, if you really want to know. But uh, I could talk while I'm doing it. Uh, 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 I forgot the name of it. Fuck. Hold on. Resident Evil... NES game. Well, while you're Googling that, let me give people a, a history of the actual PlayStation game because Resident Evil first hit PlayStation consoles in 1996, courtesy of the Japanese video game company, Capcom. Sweet Home. Sweet Home. Yeah, is the name of the NES. So game. Sweet Home was an NES uh, zombie game? Yeah, and you're like in a, a, a mansion. Interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, At the time of the first movie mm -hmm. resident evil had four it was the original game and three sequels okay can you name the sequels uh to resident evil yeah resident evil 2 okay code veronica that's right resident evil 3 nemesis nemesis yeah that's sorry right. i got the i fucked up this this subtitle yeah and uh it's interesting to think that at the time the resident evil movie had come out uh we hadn't even had resident evil 4 yeah which is like arguably the most iconic uh, actually the first one is is a landmark video game from the 90s it's one yeah. of the most famous and successful video games of all time and two i think two is a bit was a big hit i knew so many kids that had that uh double disc i would agree that two was uh, just as successful, yeah. capitalizing off the success of that first game. Yeah. But Resident Evil 4, man, we still talk about I mean, that to this the, day. That's the, to the goat. <laughs> it is the goat. Um, George Romero has gone on record and said he always felt like Resident Evil was a ripoff of his movie, <laughs> Night of the Living Dead. And really? that the sequel, uh, Resident Evil 2, was a ripoff of his sequel, Dawn of the Dead. I get, I mean, like, you're in a police station? I mean... You're in Ra Raccoon City. Yeah. Well, Dawn of the Dead actually opens with a SWAT team yeah. going into an inner city uh, project. Okay. And they're doing a raid because the building is filled with zombies, but they don't know that when they go in. Okay. You may not remember the Dawn of the Dead opening scene. No. A lot of people remember they go to the mall, but there's this whole opening 20 minutes where it's like a SWAT raid mm. on this um, city infested with zombies, and... There's a news station that is reporting about how the zombie outbreak in the city is getting so bad. Yeah. The SWAT team, uh, two guys on the SWAT team are friends with two people at the news station and they get in a, in a helicopter and they flee the city. Okay. Yeah. That's very similar. Uh, um, Resident Evil 2. But the first game is like stuck in a mansion. You're just stuck in a house in the middle of nowhere in yeah. the countryside. And he always felt like it, it. I mean, and I think it's I not even worth arguing. They, they clearly borrowed from yeah. the original night of the living dead that's the invention of the modern zombie you it's almost impossible to make a zombie property without borrowing something from george romero this is what i always loved about like capcom is like they do they do draw a lot from like american cinema but they they fuck they fuck it up so hard that it it, it feels so fresh and wacky yes yeah um, because obviously George Romero didn't include a laboratory in, underneath his, uh, <laughs> mansion and there weren't like giant mutant plants, mutant yeah. snakes, mutant dogs, all that stuff. <laughs> um, but I think like the environment, the atmosphere, kind of like the level of violence, this, and like just the yeah. chilling kind of vibe of the game 
the slow moving zombies. 100%. It was all inspired by Romero's work. Oh, yeah. He actually went on record saying, I felt I always felt like Resident Evil ripped me off. So I was looking forward to directing the Resident Evil oh, movie yeah, yeah. so that I could do it right. I wonder, was he alive when Dead Rising came out? Because that's like whole, wholesale. And also Capcom. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I don't think he ever commented on Dead Rising. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know if George Romero was a gamer, right? Uh, I don't think he cared if a video game ripped him off. No. Um, in fact, I will let you know that George Romero did write a script for Resident Evil based on the video game. Okay. But he didn't play the video game. But his... Neither did uh, P.W.S. Anderson, whatever the fuck his name is. Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But George Romero's script is said to be closer to the video game than any other version of the script okay you know why why he did the same thing we do when we swede videos he <laughs> watched he watched a speed run of the game oh, there were speed runs he, back then he hired uh-huh. a production assistant yeah to do a playthrough of the game that's awesome and record the footage and he watched the game dude he watched a playthrough and wrote his script based on it oh my god so he did his due diligence i love that yeah, could you imagine George Romero, creator of Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, legendary zombie filmmaker, watching Resident Evil on VHS tape being like, okay, so Chris Redfield, uh, oh, the mm. door uh, is locked and the ceiling's coming down. Okay. Uh, Jill Sandwich. Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but that's what he did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, at the same time that George Romero was writing this, yeah, Paul... W.S. Anderson had just come off creating the most successful video game movie of all time, Mortal Kombat. That's him? I always wondered where the fuck he came from. He made Mortal Kombat. Holy shit. He made Mortal Kombat, and he also made Event Horizon. Oh, I so love Event he, Horizon. He had essentially proven to the studios, I can do video game movies, and I can do horror movies. Okay. So it was kind of a no-brainer that he would be the director to go with for this project. Unfortunately, by the time he joined the project, George Romero was already signed on to it. And okay. Paul W.S. Anderson has gone on to say he felt like, well, they're not going to pick me over George Romero. And he got, no. he got really depressed and he locked himself in an apartment and just played Resident Evil, uh-huh. like binged it and... The story goes, he got so inspired. He's like, fuck it. I'm just going to write my own movie and I'm going to, and I'm going to rip off Resident Evil flat out. He set out to do a rip off of Resident Evil. It's a script called, it's a script called the undead. Uh huh. And he, he went in an interview and said everything from Resident Evil was in there. The mansion was in there. The laboratory was in there. The SWAT team, the zombies. Basically, I did everything I wanted in spirit. I just didn't call it Resident Evil. Mm. That is the script that ended up becoming the Resident Evil I was about Evil to say. That we yeah. know that, that the undead. Okay. Eventually, George Romero would be fired from the project, and they would bring Paul W.S. Anderson in, and they tossed out the Romero script, and they brought the undead script in and renamed it Resident Evil. And we were off to the races. And you have all seen that movie. Dude, that's the movie that's available now. I love that movie. It's bad, but wait, I love you it. you're you're loving it now? No, I loved it back then. It's so, uh, I, dude. Even when you watch it now, it's so funny. How like, I haven't seen it in years, dude. I, maybe I should go back and watch it. There's like corn on the soundtrack, and like really? <laughs> I think so. If I, I recall correctly, it would be fun and games. It's either corn or Marilyn Manson. I don't remember, but it's like it's like so goth. Ah. 
<laughs> Sorry, that was a celebration for, yeah. for how goth it was. By that the movie way, is so hot topic. It's hilarious. So the company that produced Resident Evil was a German company called Constantine Films, and they had made The NeverEnding Story. The original? Yeah. Okay. That's what they were famous for. And that was the most successful German movie of all time up mm-hmm. until that point. I know that was a German film. Yeah, I didn't either until yeah. recently. That's the Neverending Story is like one of the most successful independent movies ever, and it's uh, one of the, and it comes from Germany and it's the same person That's who wild. made Das Boot apparently oh. as well. The same like production team. So um, they bought the rights to make Resident Evil, and they hired the writer who wrote the Spawn movie. Oh, dude. And uh, that writer was named Alan McElroy. Here's a quote from um, the head of production from Constantine Films, a guy named Robert Kulzer. He said, we said, this is easy. You take the first game, a bunch of commandos. They go into a place, shoot it up, blah, blah, blah. McElroy did a pretty good job. You read it. You said, I've seen this movie before. (laughs) Then the second game comes out and all of a sudden your movie based on the first looks really dated and boring. And you say, what do we do now? Yep. So that was the situation. They wrote this movie, by the way, George Romero, he fucking hates the people from Constantine. He's talked so much shit on them. Really? Yeah. That's Uh, funny. He, uh, basically, I mean, let me, I can pull up another quote here where, uh, George Romero says, They bought the game, but they didn't, but I don't think they knew what it was. Yeah. The executive I worked with was a young guy who was turned on to it, but the head of the company just did not understand it. Doesn't even know what a video game is. (laughs) He wanted it to be something different. I mean, this is the guy who made DOS boot. So he wanted something really prestigious. I told him that's not the spirit of the game. I did five or six drafts, but he just said, forget it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, hey, I'm I'm into a prestigious Resident Evil film. Like, well, I don't know how prestigious it was going to be, because if you go and talk to that production head at Constantine, he has his own side of the story, and oh. he says, with George Romero, we could have done a great zombie movie for a very very limited audience. Mm. We could not have shown it to a regular theater. We could not have shown it on television. And the video would have been sold in the X-rated section. You can make a $2 million movie, but not a big event movie. Were they fucking the zombies? What was the yeah. fuck is that about? Um, so just a little commentary here from my perspective. I've been reading about this whole situation. And from what I gather, I tend to believe George Romero's side of the story a little bit more because the producer himself says, we, we would not be able to show George Romero's script on TV. George Romero in other interviews has said, like, they wanted a really sanitized zombie movie. They wanted a zombie movie with no violence and, like, no political commentary. And I, he's like, I honestly don't even really know what they wanted or, yeah. what, or how they thought that that could be created. Um, I was giving them the zombie movies that I felt were what zombie movies should be, and they just were not happy with it. I mean... He invented zombie movies. Why yeah. are you going to fight with him on that? Let the man cook. Yeah, let the man cook. I love that he, you know, always felt that there should be a political statement in his films. I always really appreciate that about him. Yeah. Like, they're not just trash, you know? By the way, the reason that George Romero got attached to this project was 
he was commissioned to do advertisements for Resident Evil 2. Oh. And this is an interesting story. Yeah. We have the advertisements. We do. We can show them. We'll show them in a second. But the Resident Evil movie was um, put into production by Constantine Productions. They had the script writer from Spawn write the first draft. They said, this is pretty good. Commandos go into a mansion, shoot it up, blah, blah, blah. This is great. <laughs> Their words, not mine. Then uh, Resident Evil 2 comes out, and that game, it's so much more than what the first game is, in their opinion. This is, yeah. this is you know, again, I, I kind of agree that this guy doesn't know how video games work, because I feel like Resident Evil 2 comes out, you can still just make a movie about Resident Evil 1. Yeah. You don't need to incorporate, like, the way video games work, they're not like movies. The new game doesn't replace the old game. In the way that movies do, you know, when like a new movie comes out, everybody's excited about that. And they're kind of like, oh, yeah, I've already seen the original. Yeah. But when a new video game comes out, people are like, I got to go back and play the old one. Oh, yeah. I got I got to I got to review it. Exactly. Um, but, you know, this this filmmaker kind of fundamentally didn't understand that. So the second game came out and George Romero was hired by Capcom to do commercials for it. That's so sick. But the commercials were not allowed to be shown in America. Nope. You want to know why? Why? Because the movie was already in production, dude, pre-production, and the actor who was cast to play Leon Kennedy um, was was used in the commercial, but they couldn't show that in America because they didn't want to reveal any secrets. They didn't want to show Uh, this actor in the role of Leon Kennedy. But Japan's fine? On television. Yeah, because it's a different market. Yeah, okay. (laughs) The American audiences will never see this. They didn't want to like plant the seed uh, in people's minds of like this actor in this franchise. They wanted to keep it totally separated. Like don't put them together. Mm. So the commercials were only shown in Japan. But despite that, they became some of the most um, successful video game commercials ever. Like still to this day, they're regarded as awesome. They had a huge multi-million dollar budget, despite the fact that they were only a few minutes long. And they kind of showed off trademark George Romero zombies in a Resident Evil world. But admittedly, way less violent because it's a TV commercial in Japan. So you can't have like rotten faces and brains exposed and all that. Yeah, I know they have like heinous gun laws too so like i'm surprised i mean i not in their media but yeah i mean they have guns in the video yeah, yeah that's true so let's take a look at the commercial that george romero made yes. that actually got him the job of writing and directing the resident evil movie i'm hoping this isn't too loud directed by george a. Romero. yeah yeah it says oh. it right there we're covering it they Whatever. saw it so that's the actor who they could not show in america I love the music. This commercial was praised for like a sense of urgency, atmosphere, you know, and just kind of being like rambunctious, rollicking. That's it. Was there a second commercial? Or was that it? I could only find that one. There may have been more. But I think there is one, but yeah. That's the most famous one. It's just a tease. It's badass. It's just, it's badass, but it's, you're ready for more. If that was the whole movie, I would have fucking lost my shit. If that was the whole movie, that movie would be an American classic. Yeah, 100%. That would be an American classic. Yeah, and instead we got fucking bullshit. And uh, what's the name of the chick from the? Mila Jovovich. No, no, what's her character's name? Alice. Alice? Oh, man. Yeah, I, well, you know, Alice. So, by the way, the Paul W.S. Anderson movie is technically a prequel to the video games. 
Oh. And he said he did that so that, uh, well, that's the reason why none of the video game characters show up in the movie. Oh. Uh, but also now we know that he just wrote this script and ripped off Resident Evil and changed yeah. all the names anyways. So I don't think he was ever intending to include video game elements. Yeah. I mean, like it's, I guess, uh, she fights with like an AI in that movie. So like, that's pretty, that, that held up. Yeah. Um, Capcom producer Yoshiki Akamoto told the editors of Electronic Gaming Monthly his take on the situation, and it was pretty brutal. Okay. He said, talking about George Romero, his script wasn't good, so Romero was fired. <laughs> but Paul Thomas, but the fucking other one was good? I don't, dude, that's baffling to me. I think, uh, you know, according to Constantine Films, they mm. just they just didn't, the movie was too violent and not marketable. Again, I I agree with George. He says that these guys don't understand video games and they probably thought like video games are for kids. Like, yeah. Make this more family friendly. And he's like, this video game is not for kids. Have you played it? Because I watched the fucking VHS playthrough of it. This shit's insane. I mean, I'll be real with you. We haven't gotten a good video game ad adaptation until like now, you know, like what do you what would you say is the one right now? Uh, Surely last, it's not Sonic. Last of Us. Oh, yeah. I guess if you literally recreate the cutscenes <laughs> from the video game, yeah. you can't go wrong. Exactly. Uh, well, Last of Us is only four or five episodes in, so it could jump the shark just like the video game oh, did. Oh, shit. Okay? Because when that girl died in the first scene, I was what? done. Oh. <laughs> that, I was that, done. They put that in the show. Um, by the way, up until this point in history, there were just a handful of video game movies that had been released. Okay. And they were... I just want to say this to kind of put you in the mind frame of 1998. I feel like I could name them all. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Well, I'll tell you that there were four major video game four. movies okay. released before Resident Evil. That's your clue. Okay. Super Mario Brothers. Uh, Mortal Kombat. Obvio. Uh, uh, fuck, I feel like there's uh, The Wizard. Does that count? Nope. Was there a Double Dragon movie? That's not on my list. If, oh. If it, if it exists, I didn't count it. Video game movies in the 90s? Yep, and I'm going to name two major films, and you're going to be like, holy shit, I forgot those existed. Yeah, I, I'm not going to remember. Ready? Yeah. Tomb Raider? Oh, yeah, yeah. Cradle, yeah. With Angelina Jolie? I forgot, yeah. And Street Fighter. Oh, I missed Street Fighter. With Jean-Claude Van Damme. I love that movie, too. What? How did I fucking miss that? That movie sucks. Kicking myself. By the way, uh, Street Fighter, with the, the M. Bison was played by the guy who played Gomez Adams in oh, the yeah. Adams Family. Um, he's a Puerto Rican actor. I can't remember his name. That was his final movie. He had cancer yeah. while he was M. Bison. His, uh, his kids really loved the game, and uh, they kind of, he, he did it for them. Yeah, he's an amazing actor. I wish I knew his name off the top of my head. Uh, Mad I, respect. I mean, so memeable in that movie. The the classic, uh, of course. I don't remember that. What? Oh, in the movie, there's a part where he goes, of course, like that really loud. And, and people have memed it. Hell yeah. Um. Okay, so uh, that's basically like the history of the movie. Okay. I, we've set the stage. Now you know that Paul... W.S. Anderson goes on to adapt his script for the undead into Resident Evil. And George Romero is fired from the project after six drafts of the script. And he was Dude. pissed off. 
He was so angry. He said, I worked so fucking hard for Constantine. I would do 72 hour marathon writing sessions. I rewrote this script six fucking no. times and they just told me to forget it because it was too violent. He's like, he basically, he essentially said, fuck them. The, the, the movie they went with is very violent. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to read the plot synopsis. It's, it's a little long, so we might be here for a while, Okay, but Hey, I'm, stick I'm with me. This is the resident evil movie we never got. So. The story begins in a top-secret laboratory in Pennsylvania's Arkley Forest. Chief researcher Dr. John Marcus alerts his superiors to a biohazard and pleads with them not to send rescue because as he is torn apart by his colleagues, driven mad by the infection. Ooh, itchy tasty. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Mohawk Ranch owner Chris Redfield is feeding the eagles when he is disturbed by an unusual creature in the distance. Feeding the eagles? This is just the plot synopsis. Oh. He returns back to his girlfriend Jill's apartment and they have sex. Meanwhile, Chris's ranch is attacked by a pack of hyper-aggressive dogs, which terrify the horses before mauling a ranch worker named Rake. Sorry, I just the open <laughs> second scene is just Chris and Jill fucking. This That's is so a rough funny. draft. This is That's a rough so draft. Okay, this this this. And he's script, like a, a farm farm hand. <laughs> yeah, and they they mention that he's a Mohawk ranch owner. So I assume that, that he's a part of the Mohawk tribe. Oh, or I don't know. I, I I was like, does he have a Mohawk, or is that like a? Or a, does a, he just have a Mohawk? Or is that a ranch term? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it could be one yeah. of all three. Um, but immediately we get like the main characters, uh, Chris and Jill, and okay. we get the mutant dogs. Yeah. Um, I've heard that in other versions of this script, the movie opens with a zombie turning to face the camera, like the beginning of Resident Evil. But yeah. He essentially has no face. It's just like an eye and like jelly and like some hole where a mouth used to be. Or That's cool. Like that. Later in the morning, news filters over to the army about the outbreak and Colonel Albert Wesker. Whoa. Commanding officer of the STARS Special Operations Team begins preparations for a rescue operation. I already can see it now. Did they like go to Chris and be like, we need you back. It's STARS. Yeah. Um, <laughs> apparently, Wesker has a way bigger role in this script. That's cool. And I like that. He's he borders on like being the main character. And then like, do they do like a reveal at the end? Uh, Keep watching. Okay. You'll find <laughs> out. So as the stars um, is based 500 miles away from the lab, the four soldiers of Bravo team have been undercover in Raccoon City for the past six months as a first response team. Among these are uh, officers DeSimmon, Russo, Williams, and Jill Valentine herself okay. as team leader. They didn't put Barry in there? Uh, so far, Barry has not been introduced. Aww. He might be in this script. Uh, Jill puts on her uniform and rushes out to meet with the team, deciding not to warn Chris of the situation. Bravo team drives out into Arclay Forest and reaches the Arclay Mansion, the surface facade of the laboratory. Before they can get inside, however, they are attacked by the guard dogs and all but Jill are killed with one of the dogs swallowing a tracking beacon. Wesker orders the entire city to be evacuated while his own alpha team takes on Jill's responsibilities. Oh, so like the, uh, uh, that's cool. Like the, uh, the, the dog attack happens in Resident Evil 1 and then like yeah, it's like all of them get stuck in the mansion, but it's just Jill is in the mansion? Yeah. And Chris or is it just... Chris is not there yet. Okay. So Jill is stranded in the mansion at this point and yeah, okay. this is kind of covering 
the opening cutscene yeah. of the video. Yeah. Game. And you can see how Romero is just following beat by beat. Like, yeah. It's, hey, I'm kind of digging it. This is what the video game is. So <laughs> he's like, they ripped off my movie. I'm going to rip off the game and make a movie. Like, that's, fuck it. That's better. Uh, he didn't care. That's what I love about this script is it felt like George Romero had nothing to prove. Yeah. He wasn't trying to prove that he can make a good zombie movie. He just wanted to make a good resident evil movie. Yeah. It's rough around the edges already, <laughs> but I can also see this as a nineties horror action movie i i was about I, can, to, I can already see the plotting i was about to say it feels very 80s sure to me yeah. yeah like that's why i said it's almost a spiritual successor yeah. to dawn of the dead and day of the dead which were 1978 and 1985 okay um okay so chris arrives at the mansion just as alpha team arrives watching through the bushes as they recover jill's bloody dog tags the dogs return to attack alpha team with them losing Joseph Frost and almost Wesker himself. Chris is almost exposed, but takes the opportunity to sneak in through a tunnel to spy on them. Um, oh. I read in another version of this script that Chris Redfield lived in this area for a long time and had explored this mansion as a child. All right. And that's why he knew of a secret tunnel to get in. I'm surprised they changed the name of it. Wasn't it the Spencer estate in the original game? Now it's just the mansion in Arclay Forest. Yeah. Alpha team enters the mansion where Wesker explains their mission. They will be entering an underground laboratory complex to rescue Marcus and any other surviving researchers. I'm assuming Marcus is the guy who put out the distress call. Yeah, that's like one-to-one -one with the game. Wesker splits the team up to search the mansion. His own team finds the body of a man recently killed by Jill in a corridor. Though Barry... Here's Barry. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing what he's doing. It's like it's like uh, they're witnessing the parts of the games you would have played, like uh, with the, the guy turning around, like you, you like witness the, the end of that. That's cool. I like this so far. Barry is confused by his necrotic flesh, which suggests he were dead far longer than his wounds would suggest. Oh, is he a zombie? Why is this guy so rotten? You know, something like that. Oh. He's confused by like seeing. A oh, zombie. I thought you were saying himself. I was like, no, what? no, no. They find a zombie, but they don't understand it. That's cool. So once again, this is this plays into the tropes of people in zombie movies have never heard of zombies before, <laughs> which I think it wasn't until like 2004 that we started getting zombie movies that actually acknowledged. Yeah. Like previous zombie movies. Yeah. Like Shaun of the Dead and Shaun stuff. of the Dead and uh, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Actually, I don't know if they reference zombie movies in the remake of Dawn of the Dead. I'm with you. That's always the worst part of zombie movies when they're like, what's happening? How can they come back? You it's mean like, they're bro. not dead? Seen a million zombie movies. All right. Meanwhile, Ridley disobeys orders and checks out the kitchen. Don't go in the kitchen, Ridley. Mm, I'm hungry. Fuck that. <laughs> Where the tunnel Chris entered leads. The kitchen is decorated with plant-themed wallpaper, but Chris notices that real vines are growing out from somewhere, which begin rubbing against him. Ridley is distracted by Chris's attempts to break free of the vines and is mauled by a zombie security guard, which Chris kills with his Winchester. Ooh. Rebecca comes in to investigate and spots Chris. Oh, Rebecca's here now? Yep. Hell yeah. Rebecca's here. I love that. See, you yeah. know a lot of the yeah. Resident Evil lore. Rebecca Chambers, dude. I'm not picking up on okay. any of this stuff. Okay, truthfully, I didn't like playing the Resident Evil games because I don't like survival horror games. Yeah. Because they're too scary and I can't <laughs> deal with them. Uh, it's funny that uh, the game isn't scary anymore, but the mechanic is scary. Like, fuck, I don't have bullets. Fuck. Like, that's still there. Yeah. And that's what I love about Resident Evil. Uh, one. I've tried least. to play Resident Evil on PlayStation. I tried to play the remake on GameCube. I didn't Remake's try. Rad. I didn't try to do the the. They recently re-released the remake. 
on PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't even they upresed it. Uh, Resident Evil Two remake is the scariest shit I've ever fucking played. I can't. I'm not. I can't. Yeah. Just I, thinking yeah. about it is making me like shudder. I can't do it. <laughs> so Chris jumps down a laundry chute as the other team members arrive, and they find the vines trying to drag Ridley away. But when Aiken intervenes, they retreat down to a hole. The vines retreat down to a hole. Okay. So they're coming from below the lab or from the laboratory below. I hope the giant snake is in this. Oh, fuck, dude. They should have let him make this. It is. Holy shit. Back in the corridor, Wesker's team considers the similarities between the man and the dogs outside. That they're different in some way. Monstrously resilient and can only be downed with a bullet to the brain. Jill points her gun at Wesker, suspecting he knows exactly what is going on, and his refusal to share information led to the demise of her team. Yeah. When asked how, at least, she escaped, Jill explains she cr- uh, climbed through a kennel hatch and sealed it up so the dogs could not enter the mansion. Sullivan intervenes in the conversation to alert them to a new situation. The surviving stars team regroups in the kitchen, examining Ridley's body, the size of the bite marks suggests he was mauled by a human rather than a dog. It is as the subject shifts to talk of the vines that Wesker finally reveals the true nature of their mission. Mm. The mansion houses a laboratory in which viral weapons research is taking place. There was an outbreak spread by the water supply, and it is a threat to the team only through biting. They are to rescue Marcus specifically as he alone has access information on the treatment. When he is finished, he raises his pistol and shoots at Ridley, who has gotten up and is shambling over to Rebecca. That's sick. You're enjoying this so far? Yeah, I just I want to see this so bad. Like, what, did he make Wesker, like, with the long trench coat and the slick back hair? Like, does Rebecca have their little headband? Like, I want to know how one-to-one he went with, like, the costume designs and stuff. Because in the fucking commercial, it's like, it's that. It's like, yeah, you know. Yeah, in the commercial, it's like primary colors yeah. and very, like, basic. Like, no bones, no frills. It, like, it is what it is. It's exactly their character models in the game, too. Like, yeah. Okay, so now we cut back to Chris. Mm-hmm. After jumping down a chute, Chris is now making his way through a crawl space used for ventilation. Looking down through an opening, he finds himself in an animal testing lab in complete disarray. Spotting a man riding on a notepad, Chris calls out to him only to find he has no face and it has rotten away. Ooh. So that might be a, uh, the opening scene I talked yeah. about was kind of like reshuffled in this version of the script to here. With only a single eye remaining, barely attached. At this moment, the STARS team enters the lab to kill the deformed zombie. Chris spots a second zombie crawling on the floor, headed for Spire's legs. But when he calls out to them, he is mistaken for an attacker and is almost shot by Vickers. Okay. A lot of this um, borrows from Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Because they kind of spy on people and climb through the vents too and and get attacked up there as well. And the humans uh, fighting humans often causes the demise more than the zombies fighting humans. I like that about George Romero stuff because it's like, and things nowadays, you they kind of just go in guns blazing. Like for him, he's very like careful, like, Oh, let's look before we go. Also with George Romero, there's a reoccurring theme of like the zombies are almost like a natural disaster. Mm. And yeah, they are coming to kill all of the humans. But the real enemy are the humans who are panicking and are losing trust in one another and who are betraying each other. There's a theme of like if we could stick together and help each other out, we might be able to beat this. 
but we can't fucking do that. I mean, and that's a that's a big message, and that's an overarching yeah. theme in his films, which I think is pretty cool. I was gonna say, I know you don't like Last of Us, but that's kind of the main plot of it. Oh, congratulations <laughs> to Last of Us for ripping off every George Romero movie. Yeah, yeah. Are we still gonna argue <laughs> that the Last of Us is not a zombie uh, franchise? Yeah. People are like, they're clickers, bro. It's, yeah, they're mushrooms. It's not zombies. <laughs> I'm going to get so much hate. Oh, yeah. Gonna, I just realized I'm going to get no, so much fine. hate. Listen, I have no problem with The Last of Us TV show. Yeah. It's awesome. I just, I was never into the game, and so I'm not interested. I don't in, like the first game. I'm not interested in the show. Is the second game better than the first? I've never played the second game. Oh, so you're like me. You don't like yeah. the games, but you're liking the show? I'm loving the show. Yeah. All right. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll try it. <laughs> All right. Let's continue. With the vent broken by gunfire, Chris tries to escape into the next room. Falling into an aquarium. The aquarium is populated by six deformed sharks. They put the sharks in there? Which Chris tries to scare away with his Winchester. One of the sharks is superficially injured. He turns around to blast a hole in the aquarium instead and finds Jill on the other side, having rushed into the room to catch their apparent attacker. The two find the glass is reinforced, but Jill eventually breaks the glass with M16 fire as the sharks are killed by the stars team... As the water drains away, I can feel the like him watching a speed run. Yeah, right. Like we're we're fucking go, we're like cutting through this. But I can also see this like slow motion as the glass breaks and all the water spills out, and then like the mutant sharks are like coming, and the commandos have to like open fire Dude. on them. Like this is the greatest movie never made. I I don't even know how the fuck he would have filmed this. <laughs> yeah, the budget would have been insane. Yeah, yeah. Honestly. This would have been like a fucking Marvel movie. I think that's what they're... I think secretly all these people were like, this is too expensive. Maybe you're right. I don't know. Like, I can see that. People just didn't want to admit it. Yeah. They're like, yeah. They kept saying like, oh, this would be like a $2 million movie. That's all we can do. But yeah. This is like a $100 million Oh, that's movie. so much. Um. So let me find out where we left uh, off here. It, maybe if they did CG... They didn't have really that capability yeah. back then. I mean, they had limited CG capability. The facility's automated systems sound into action, sealing the team in the lab and preventing travel between the floors to prevent an outbreak. The attention shifts now to Chris Redfield, who explains he used to play in this mansion as a child, and the laboratory was at one point a laundry room. He and Jill argue over their apparently fake relationship, which ultimately saves his life as the summary execution of the trespasser would collapse morale. Oh. So they were like, this guy's not a part of the mission. He's not here. We should kill him. But it's like, if we kill him, like, who are we? This, this is a bummer. Again, another like George Romero trope yeah. of like, you have to keep that morale high because we're in a shitty situation. All right. I think we're about halfway done with the movie at this point. Oh, shit. Yeah. Moving along. Sorry, I lost my place here. Bear with me. So while searching the animal testing room, Barry recognizes that the faceless zombie was the Marcus that they were looking for. The reason for their mission is now lost, but Wesker refuses to let them leave without an antidote. Vickers finds a map of the facility when investigating a computer, and Wesker determines that they must go down three floors to level D while he gathers any more useful data. Rebecca notices Vickers is bleeding from his foot and attends to him. Chris leads the STARS team back through the crawl space to evade the lab's lockdown procedures, and they make their way above uh, level B, which houses the lab's mainframe. It is a steep drop with only one way back up, and that is to stand on a desk and be pulled up by the others. Intent on releasing the locks, Wesker drops down with Vickers with Marini and Fox as his protection. Oh. 
While looking through the computer, Vickers spots a video filmed by a woman the previous day, which includes footage of an unseen monster lifting up a man, ripping claws down his back, and throwing him across the room. Hell yeah. You know where this is going. Got a tyrant in here. While he watches the video, zombies begin forcing their way into the mainframe, mauling Fox in the process. Marini helps Vickers into the vent before being rescued himself. Wesker tries to save Fox, but shoots himself in the but Fox shoots himself in the head to prevent zombification. Um, <laughs> and he is dragged up by Barry alone. Vickers is uh, uh sorry, is dragged up. Oh yeah. I'm or Wesker, Wesker, I'm sorry. Uh, Wes, uh, Wesker is dragged up. Believing the zombies may be capable of rational thought. <laughs> A really lame trope that George Romero always yeah. tries to. F- hey, I, well, love, I saw Land of the Dead. Dude. I love uh, the Romero films, but he has this thing of like maybe the zombie zombies are smarter than we think. It's irrelevant. Who cares? At this point, they're they're dead and they're and they're coming to eat me. <laughs> I I don't. What am I gonna have like a, a conversation with them? Like, I think that's the plot of Land Land of the Dead, right? Where they learn that they could like walk through the water and like underwater and just walk to the, where the humans are. Well, there's also a subplot in day of the dead. Yeah. Of one of the researchers in the facility has captured a zombie and he's basically bubs. He's made yeah. friends with him and um, he's like trying to communicate with bubs and like, you know, be friend and uh, make him oh. pacified. That's where that comes from, from Shaun of the dead. What? I don't want to spoil Shaun of the dead, but like spoil it. It came out in almost 20 right. years ago. Yeah. At the end of the movie, he like keeps uh, his friend around that became a zombie. In the oh, show. yeah. Yeah. yeah you're like, right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> there is that solution. Yes. Believing the zombies may be capable of rational thought. Chris becomes distressed at the possibility of them climbing into the vent after them. He jumps down with his Winchester intent on killing the zombies, but is unable to shoot them, forcing Jill to d- jump down and cover him, killing two zombies in the process pushing the desk away to prevent the zombies from following. They are no longer able to get back up. As the strongest in the team, Barry drops down and physically lifts Jill and Chris up towards the vent (laughs) where they can be dragged in. That's awesome. Barry's a fucking badass. As he makes his own attempt to jump for the vent, Barry is grabbed by a zombie who rips his trousers but fails to maul him as he makes his way into the vent safely. Fuck yeah, Barry. This is harrowing. Yeah. What are recounts of these events? The team continues on towards a storage area on level C. And down from a steel access ladder, the whole team used this opportunity to relax for the next five minutes. But with morale failing, they begin to argue amongst themselves. Speyer and Marini don't want to be in the lab any longer and would rather head back to the helicopter, which cannot be done without Wesker's access card for the elevator. To prevent this from becoming a mutiny, Wesker reveals he has a detonator for a massive bomb built within the lab. Powerful enough to destroy everything in a 20-mile radius. Shit. It's like a nuke. Yeah. It's like a pile of C4. Using a complicated dead man's switch that reads his pulse, the situation is this. If Wesker should die unexpectedly, the bomb will detonate prematurely. His survival is crucial to this mission. I let you just feel the Japanese writing in there. That's so funny. Wesker is able to stop the team radioing in their helicopter. LaGuardia contacts their base asking if she can land to check on the team, but Holden prevents any such attempt, keeping her in the air. Having defused the situation, the five-minute break is now over with Wesker leading the team. 
They are standing, they are starting to run low on ammunition, having not planned for their situation, but Wesker would rather they quickly complete the mission than looking around for ammo in the storage room. As they make their way through the service corridor, Wesker spots that it requires a blue access card. <laughs> but he was only provided with a green access card. Oh, that should be so fucking funny. Like, <laughs> blue. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the most video gamey shit. So they are forced to pry the door open and drag a crate in the way to prevent it from closing. The team makes their way to the system center where the facility draws its power from. The room drowns in darkness, forcing the team to rely on beams of their flashlights. Mm -hmm. The facility is defended by an elaborate laser grid, which does not appear to be harmful at first. As they make their way through, they are distracted by the sounds of machinery. Marini is attacked by a zombie who mutilates his face as he screams in pain he inadvertently trips the security grid and a jet of highly acidic stream shoots at him. Marini dies in agony as oh. he is dissolved by the acid. Mm. Uh, oh. Again, I can imagine this slow motion. Kind of <laughs> like uh, Roger Rabbit when they dip people into the uh, oh, yeah. paint thinner. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's dissolved in acid. Oops, I lost my place here. Give me a second. I'm surprised the laser beam thing showed up. As Marini's body falls, it trips off another laser, which causes minor injury to the team. Though a zombie is killed, setting off another. Inspired by Sullivan, the team begins dismantling an air duct to escape the room. Although the team is effective against the zombies that continue to enter the room, it is too dangerous to remain. So Chris is grabbed by a dying zombie, which melts before his eyes with the flesh of his arm boiling away. Um, but he is saved by Jill when the acid cooks his Winchester. No, not his Winchester. Yeah, so this is getting a little muddled, but basically yeah. there's acid in this room, the stars agents are in this room, and the zombies are in this room, and acid is melting zombies, agents, and their guns. This is probably the only bad scene so far. Wesker is attacked by a zombie, which results in his detonator almost being destroyed. Uh, almost being destroyed. The cool. team, minus Marini, make their way into the air duct. Rebecca checks everyone for acid burns, and <laughs> while they're there, Wesker lets it slip that Raccoon City has been evacuated to prevent the spread of infection. With Chris realizing the U.S. Army plan to destroy the area and blame it on a plane crash, and Wesker will have to detonate the facility in order to complete the mission. So Chris is putting this yeah, together. Yeah. He's yeah, like, yeah. they're going to blow this all up. This is all going down. He tries to break from the team and searches for the bomb on his own, intent on deactivating it to prevent the cover-up. It is here that the air vent is attacked by vines, the same ones encountered in the kitchen. With the air vent snapping, Chris, Rebecca, Aiken, and Sullivan fall into an, an uh, uh, I don't know this word is, my aboratum. I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Thinking that's like a greenhouse. Where I assume the, so. Where the plant test subjects and were being housed prior to the disaster. This place includes a creature known as Plant 42. Yeah. Hell yeah. Wesker orders the others, Jill, Spire, Barry, Vickers, and Rodriguez, not to intervene and reasons that if the room is dangerous, then they cannot be saved. And should, and should the room be harmless, then they will rescue them later. Realizing the threat that the plant imposes, Chris's group 
tries to avoid its moving vines and pistols. But Sullivan is soon held in place with his blood uh, while his blood is sucked out of his body. Oh my God. Pulling out the cables, Chris tosses them into a pool of water. Plant 42 drinks from this water, which and it receives an electrical shock uh, from this action. Angry at his friend's death, Aiken takes out his knife and swings at the plant, but soon finds himself being uh, finds himself to be slicing a giant copperhead, which was resting underneath. Dude, they got the fucking snake in there too. The snake reacts to the wound by turning to bite back, crushing Aiken's ribs before swallowing him whole. He needs the fucking grenade launcher. With a rope, Chris makes a lasso and uses a ceiling beam hangs the snake's head up to prevent it from moving further. Seeing Aiken is still alive, trapped inside the snake, he picks up the discarded knife and begins carving a hole in the snake's body. Aiken is badly wounded and suffers collapsed ribs and acid burns. He begs to be killed to end his pain. The snake, meanwhile, escapes the rope and sets its attention on Chris, who pulls the pins on Aiken's grenades with the explosion... uh, ensuring both the snake and Aiken's so death. So fucking funny how he just, t- he like takes the most video gamey moments and puts in the movie and it like mud- muddies up the whole thing. Like you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have heard commentary on this scene. Yeah. Scene saying that this snake scene alone would have added like $10 million. Dude, it's so unnecessary. To have a giant snake yeah. that can eat people, but then you actually, you cut the snake open to get somebody out of its stomach. Dude. It would have been like so insane to film. Just too expensive. All right, we're coming to the third act here. Okay. Stick with us, everybody. We're almost done. Meanwhile, Wesker leaves his group to talk with Holden, who is now in a meeting with other Umbrella officers. He assures them of his impending success. We we just jump around? What happened? (laughs) Um, Remember that half the team fell into the plant room? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And the other half of the team said, we'll come back for them later. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're talking with Umbrella officers, and he assures the Umbrella uh, Corporation of his impending success. As the others catch up to him, they find they were being followed by a pack of six hunters. Despite their ammo shortage, the, the, group, in there. the group opens fire. Chris and Rebecca make their way through another crawl space and approach the sound of gunfire. But the hunters are alerted to their presence, with one jumping up, attempting to break open the vent. Chris and Rebecca soon catch up, jump down next to Jill getting a closer look at the creatures. Chris correctly determines their limbs are their weakness rather than their heads. He just keeps adding this video gamey shit. It's cracking me up every time. (laughs) Which Jill finds it to be protected by metal casing beneath the skin. The hunters are quickly incapacitated, but not killed. Two of the hunters charge at the team with one ripping a hole in Speyer's chest. Rather than attacking the others, the other hunter begins consuming Speyer's body. A silent alarm is set off, which ends with most of them uh, and Speyer falling down into a hatch into the room below where they are. uh, Oh, this is the hunters. The hunters fall down into a hatch with Speyer into a room below where they are destroyed by a grinder. Ooh, sad. Still trapped in the corridor. The team is rescued by Ada Wong. Ooh, Ada shows up? What the fuck? A woman whom Vickers saw on the video earlier. She was the woman who filmed the video the day prior. Dude, this is good. Yeah, right? They should make this now. Uh, The woman uh, was on the video earlier. She explains she activated the booby trap but was unfamiliar with the controls, so she couldn't help them earlier. 
The team is directed into an office with the door being sealed to prevent other hunters from catching up. Ada introduces the team to the other surviving scientists, Benjamin and Tashiro, who were rescued by a scientist sacrificing himself by luring hunters into the same trap. She explains the facility operations were highly compartmentalized to the extent that Marcus, the lead developer of the T-virus, was purposely kept unaware of its bioweapon applications. Wesker is not interested and demands access to the lab on level D. Rebecca interrupts to warn them of Vicar's deteriorating condition, which he finally admits was from a shark bite. I just realized they're mashing up one and two together. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I told I was like, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh George Romero was fed plot yeah. points from the second game before it came out. Oh, because so, yeah, I was trying to, I was like, isn't Marcus a boss in Resident Evil 2? Like, I was how, trying to remember. That's how he was able to mash up these elements from okay. both games, even though this script predates the second game. But it's mostly one. 100%, yeah. It's mostly one, yeah. but he, he was just fed, like, here's some characters, here's some plot points from, mm. the, from the next game, if you want to use them. Uh, so Vickers, who had this foot injury, he was bit by one of those sharks earlier, and Ada takes out a gun and threatens to kill him. While Ada is kept at bay, Wesker and Barry head out into Lab D, with Wesker becoming obsessed with recovering the research. Ooh. In the lab, they find the body of a man contained within a glass container. Tyrant! Wesker is aware of the creature and explains only two of them and Holden are aware of it thanks to the outbreak. He brings forward his proposal that they evacuate with Tyrant and hand it over in exchange for a massive bonus. So it can Hell be yeah. cloned for the production line. In his moment of triumph, he reveals there is no antidote to the T-virus. <laughs> and he made it up to raise the morale of the team. His only goal was to get tyrants yep. the whole time. Hell yeah. The other survivors enter the room where they overheard the proposal. He offers the same to each of the members with anyone who helps him take the tyrant. Uh, take the tire out, gets a cut of the bonus. Following a brief debate, Rodriguez and Tashiro join Wesker. <laughs> We're in. Barry remains silent, but Jill reluctantly walks over. This is a trap, however, and Jill rips out the detonator, setting off the bomb's timer. They only have 15 minutes left to escape. With his plans ruined, Wesker initiates a standoff. He aims his M16 at Jill, but Barry turns on his friend and aims his own gun at Wesker. Ada runs up and snatches the tyrant's data disc from his hand as he turns to kill her. He is knocked down by Jill, who kicks him repeatedly in the head. Wesker. Yeah, yeah. The team has less than 15 minutes left to escape the lab, but their actions have unintentionally stirred up the tyrant. Ooh. As klaxons sound, the lab begins an emergency shutdown to contain it. The, uh, Rodriguez helps Ada and Benjamin to keep the door open to let everyone out. But Vickers appears on the other side and mauls Benjamin's neck before being shot dead. Ada is forced to kill Benjamin to prevent his own zombification. The tyrant breaks a hole in its tank and crushes Toshiro's head while frozen in fear. But is still having trouble feeling itself. I think that is a reference to the tyrant. Oh, Tyrant's yeah. like, I'm feeling myself. <laughs> As the others escape, Barry offers to stay behind to distract the tyrant, but Wesker arrives and a shootout ensues between Wesker and Barry as the others escape. Barry is wounded and Wesker focuses in his intention on trying to kill Chris before the doors close. Now trapped in the room with Barry and the tyrant, Wesker intends to shoot his friend and then turn on the tyrant, but finds himself 
out of bullets. That would have been a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> then we cut to Ada, Rodriguez, Rebecca, Jill, and Chris make their way up the lab as Jill directs them to a freight elevator that can be accessed with a red key card. Ada hands over the card and chooses to stay behind with her role as the last surviving scientist on the project. Uh, sorry, Ada is leading them, not Jill. Oh, okay. Her death will erase Umbrella's research for good. Chris and Jill try to convince her otherwise and point out that she still has responsibilities to make sure the outbreak doesn't spread. Back on level D, the tyrant breaks itself free from the chamber but loses strength in the process. Barry tries firing at the creature. Although Wesker has details on its anatomy, he is convinced of its indestructibility and offers no help as he shifts his attention to trying to force the door open by jamming Vickers' boot under it. Oh. Um, yeah, I guess he had to be there to understand the whole boot door yeah. so jamming situation. <laughs> Chris and the others head through level C where Ada reveals a secret doorway leading to the freight elevator and as they step into the service corridor, they hear moaning echoes from the many zombies that are still hunting them. They find the elevator is only designed to transport crates. The elevator <laughs> can't take people, it's crates only, sorry. The elevator, which is built like uh, prongs on a forklift truck with each set going up around the top and back up from the floor. So. Okay. Oh. It's like, it's like uh, yeah. forklift prongs. That's why it loads the crates and goes. Oh, up. yeah. Rebecca and Ada uh, go on first, which leave Chris and Jill and Rodriguez behind to wait for their turn. A mass of 20 to 30 zombies arrive at the bottom of the corridor and a shootout ensues. Jill goes on the next prong, followed by Chris with Rodriguez the last to go as she is almost dragged down by the zombies as she boards the elevator. Oh, the tyrant is starting to regain consciousness and gets ready to begin fighting. Meanwhile, Wesker is still no closer to opening the door with his arm, receiving deep cuts as a result. I think this is the end of Resident Evil 2. <laughs> still confident. The elevator thing? Yeah. Still confident in making it out, Wesker rushes to a computer and orders it to record, record T-virus data onto another disc. As Barry prepares to toss a grenade at the tyrant, Wesker grabs his M16 and shoots him in the gut in a desperate effort to protect the computer. The tyrant runs for Barry's body and inspects it, determining he is dead. It loses interest and tosses the corpse away. Wesker, oh, Barry. Oh, that's how Barry goes. Wesker succeeds in getting a new data disc and rushes back for the door. Using his M16, he tries to force the door uh, left slightly open by Vickers' boot. The door slowly begins to rise, setting off a security alert, which distracts the tyrant and allows Wesker to get through. But the tyrant penetrates its claws through the metal door and impales Wesker on the other side. Mm. A second stab decapitates Wesker Whoa. as it destroys the door. Fuck. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Meanwhile, Chris's group are still ascending the elevator shaft, slowly making their way to level B, instructed by Ada to keep their guns ready at all times in case zombies are on the other side of each corridor. Upon Rebecca's inspection, she finds level B to be cleared of hostile entities, but finds the crows have made uh, the roof of the area their home. She fires up, killing two birds, which fall down the shaft. My man waited till the end to fucking have the crows show up. That's so fucking funny. He brought the crows, At dude. the end of the movie, there's, a been, there's been tyrants. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck, crows. Oh, no, <laughs> zombie birds. <laughs> two birds fall down the shaft. Ada is hit by one of the carcasses, which falls to hit Rodriguez as well. Um, 
More beginning to make their way up from the bottom of the shaft with Rodriguez surrounded and bit on the cheek. So zombies are coming up from the bottom of the uh, shaft. Okay. Uh, yeah. The lift begins to break as one of the surviving hunters has taken notice of the shaft and tries to drag the chain of prongs back down. Rebecca and Ada are able to escape to level A, but Rodriguez, who is closest to the hunter, has to jump down to lower the prong to escape its claws before it can grab her. However, the hunter is impaled by the tyrant. There's a tyrant here now. Oh. Yeah, I'm getting, like, confused towards the end of this. I am, too. Yeah, yeah. I apologize if, no, no, of, if, our, if our listeners are as well, but this is a rough draft yeah. of a script. And this is a plot synopsis from a rough draft of a script. So, oh, okay. So there is a, a draft of the script. It's just someone kind of writ wrote it. Oh yeah, that. I okay. could. We could read the script. No, but no, it no, would no. be. I mean, we've basically been going for an hour, dude. Uh, but we're almost at the end of the movie. Here. So this <laughs> is the plot synopsis. Um, sorry. The tyrant loses. The hunter is impaled by the tyrant. The tyrant loses interest in its kill and throws it down the elevator shaft. The tyrant curiously looks up and spots Rodriguez and stops the chains. Finally, Rodriguez gives up and jumps fully intent on killing herself, but the tyrant catches her and crushes her to death with inhuman reflexes. Okay. She's adding insult to injury. As the rest of the survivors, we're here at the last uh, paragraph here. As the rest of the survivors reach level A, they find themselves back in the mansion that Chris recognizes. He leads them into an East Indian style powder room where there is a ceramic tiger head hiding a secret door mechanism, which Chris twists to reveal a new passage. Ooh. As they make their way out of the mansion, they are spotted by LaGuardia, the helicopter pilot, who refuses direct orders not to intervene. Their relief is cut short, however, when the tyrant bursts through the wall. LaGuardia orders her radio operator to drop a stinger missile launcher to destroy the creature while a ladder is dropped quickly so the people on the ground can escape. With the stinger tossed down, Jill tries firing from the ladder while Chris dodges claw swipes, but gives up as she can't get steady aim. Jill pitches it to Chris, who catches the rocket launcher and fires as the tyrant stands on top of him. Chris is injured as the rocket explodes in the tyrant's <laughs> chest. With the tyrant dead, LaGuardia lowers the helicopter, allowing Chris to grab a hold of the ladder and be escorted out safely. Under two minutes are left on the countdown. Chris has the helicopter circle over the mansion one more for a full view of Raccoon City and the surrounding countryside, giving him one last look at his home before the mansion explodes, destroying his farm and the city itself. Oh, that's sad. The end. That's a fucking wild ending. Like, just, like, explosion and him being like, oh, man. Uh, Everything's wiped out. He he had it there. That's, like, he has, like, the 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 genesis of everything and the stuff I enjoy. Uh, it gets muddied by him adding, like, some boss battles. Yeah. Um, But for the most part, like, that's way better than the movie we got. Um, You have to keep in mind that George Romero had already directed three of the most iconic zombie yeah. movies of all time up until this point. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like he's combining everything he knew about his zombie movies with everything he learned about Resident Evil. And I think it would have been a great, I think it would have been a great movie. I think so too. That, like, I mean, that's very faithful to the game. And I, I just love that he has kind of the genesis of like Wesker and like 
uh, you know, him turning on them and all that stuff. Um, I want to, I did actually pull a quote from, okay. from the actual script. Chris is talking to Ada about the Umbrella Corporation mm -hmm. and their true intentions with the laboratory. Mm -hmm. And he says, you're going to get a kick out of this. Okay. He says, they lied to you. They lied to Marcus. They made you believe you were doing a good thing when it wasn't good at all. It was evil. The kind of evil that resides in all of us. <laughs> Makes us greedy, uncaring. The kind of evil that will wipe us out in the end, unless we stand up against it. It's a resident evil. The titular line. <laughs> he, he contextualized why it's called resident evil, it's which people have questioned <laughs> for over 20 years. Why is this game called resident evil? I always thought it was like a house, like a, like an evil house, resident evil. Well, originally it was called biohazard. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what it is still called in Japan. Yeah. So what is house evil? House evil? Yeah. No, it's the evil that resides in all of oh. us. The greediness, the, the cutthroat nature of us all. That's what's really going to take us out. I, I love that. Like Jill's his girlfriend, but then they threw in like Leon and Ada's relationship just in there. Like he just be like takes the place of, uh, well, I guess him and Claire, but, uh, but well, yeah. Jill was his girlfriend, but then he found out that she was an other undercover agent. So oh. he's like, Oh, they fight. Like our relationship was all fake. Did you even love me? Oh, and then he, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So I have, again, you know, uh, part, parts of that summary were a little muddy and I apologize. Uh, people uh, were not properly identified in mm. parts of this summary. So I was like, who are we talking about again? But you basically get the gist of, of the film here yeah, in great detail. And there's a lot of things from the video game in here. The giant snake, plant 42, the crows, the dogs, the hunters, the tyrants, the key cards. <laughs> yeah. Like this is a very true to source material video game adaptation. I would love like someone to make a fan film of his original script. Well, there is a documentary currently being worked on. Oh, it's slated to come out within the next year or two. And it is called George a Romero's resident evil dude. I and love that. They're essentially going to do a documentary kind of what we did here today, mm -hmm. a history of the movie that was never made, but I have been reading about this and it is said that they are filming scenes from this script. That's fucking to, awesome. To recreate parts of this script in, in ways that were uh, never done before. So we might just get a little taste of what it might have been like when George Romero's, George A. Romero's Resident Evil comes out in a few years. That's badass. Keep your eyes peeled for that. I'm definitely excited for oh, it. Oh, me too. And that brings us to the conclusion of today's episode, everybody. Thank you for sticking with us. This is a long one. I appreciate everyone uh, sticking through. Hey, if you like this uh, video, go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube. We have yes. new episodes coming out every Saturday. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Make a Strange Podcast. And be sure to vote for us in the Parapod Awards. We have until April 1st. So it's one month of voting. So we need all the mega strangers out there to do yes. their part to make sure that we win and get the credit we deserve for the hard work we do. We're going to be back next week with another awesome episode, something we've been working on for a little while now. Cool. Very excited for you to see it. So we'll see you then. Stay strange, everybody. Good night.